Welcome to another edition of Occupy Interview with hosts James, Mark, and Terry on this day, October 16th, 2012. Our show is brought to you by 12160.info and the Occupy America social network. Today we have Bev Harris of blackboxvoting.org as our guest, and she is an activist fighting for fair and transparent elections in the United States and uh, as well as internationally. She has also appeared as a central figure in the HBO documentary Hacking Democracy. Uh, due to some procedural errors, a very small portion of the beginning of the show was not recorded properly, but we do hope that you'll bear with us as we now join the show in progress. They did a spin-off and purchased the second largest voting machine company in the United States in July 2007. That was under the radar, but it is so in your face, it's not even arm's length. Can I, can I interject right now? My name is Terry Bain, and evidently my side of the family didn't get any of the Bain capital. I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> about that. Just wanted to throw that in for disclaimer. And so if the check is in the mail, I take it all back. And no, all of you guys, you're going to have to fend for yourselves. I'm switching Yeah, links to back that up. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I really couldn't believe it. You know, I, I basically, uh, Bain Capital and Bain and Company did a spinoff, uh, called HIG Capital. It's all the Bain guys. It's like 39 Bain guys who are all big bundlers for Romney. And I'm nonpartisan, but as a procedural thing, you don't want a presidential candidate's company owning the second largest voting machine company in the U.S. Certainly does not pass the Caesar's wife test of avoiding reproach. Right. Appearance of impropriety uh, times 10. And I, you know, this particular company, it's called Heart Inner Civic, um, very heavily involved in some of the swing states. It dominates Colorado and Washington State. Um, and it's been. It's had all kinds of issues in terms of its not only reliability but its hackability. Uh, hackability is maybe the wrong word because it's insiders that you're really concerned about. And what this company does in the hundreds and hundreds of locations where it deploys its machines is it has the local county election official send all of the materials to this company and they program it for them. Isn't that nice? What a service. Mm, I, I feel so comforted that there's so much efficiency in this system. Uh, yes. I've, I've got a question that came in, uh, but before we do, what, uh, what can those of us in the Occupy movement, um, what you're doing, uh, election integrity, that's about as important as it gets. It was only about a year ago that Marine veteran Scott Olson uh, was shot in the head at an Occupy uh, Oakland meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can't vote with ballots, Mr. Jefferson reminds us it's not really a good place to be for democracy. Uh, I understand. Right. What, what can our people do to help you? You know, a lot of times people ask, what can I do? And um, I don't, after doing this for 10 years, there's a lot that each of us can achieve as individuals uh, and as groups, but I don't want to give false hope. This is not a short-term fight. It's not something we're going to be able to just handle and take care of by the next election. It's um, a very entrenched 
uh, actually global uh, problem. It's not just the U.S., but com- countries all over the world are experiencing the same thing with the, essentially the same companies. So, you know, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that there's a problem <laughs> and look into it and ask questions. And what happened with me when I first started looking into it, I just had a simple question and I was only going to spend 20 minutes on it. Seriously. Well, I just want to find out who owns the biggest company in America that counts the votes. And from that point on, every single question I asked had the wrong answer. And I guarantee that is exactly, you know, if you go there, that's a great thing to do on election night, is not during the day so much when people are voting, but right as soon as the polls close, just go watch and see if they let you see anything that they're doing. And uh, go to the county election office and see if they let you see anything. And you will be shocked because it's just, (laughs) it's probably the best thing that can happen is to have lots of people go run into that brick wall. Right. Because, you know, then you pick yourself up and dust yourself off and go, oh, this isn't what I thought. Um, So it starts with that. Then moving on, as we saw with the Occupy movement, uh, the ordinary everyday person I like to call them the extraordinary people. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You know, really has tremendous common sense, and that's the one thing that's never really acknowledged, and that's really the Achilles heel of um, an elitist system that wants to kind of take the power from the um, from the populace. Is they never really realize these are some smart, wily, creative people that figure out things. So you kind of do what makes sense to you given your skill set and your experience. And if you just take one step and do even one thing that makes sense, even on a local level, the next step then becomes clear. Great. Uh, it's it's the, After several years of it, the, the real question is, how do you keep taking the next step? Do you have any success stories that, that we can share right now? Because Mm-hmm. In the yeah. Occupy movement, we could use some success stories right now. Yeah, and it, you know, and there again, I'm going to go back to I don't want to undersell the magnitude of this challenge. It's a big challenge, but big challenges have been uh, handled before. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of some things that have happened on the local level with elections, and then a, uh, another example of a, of a much bigger problem that where they prevailed on a local level. Um, now, each municipality, and there's about 80,000 of them in the United States, uh, usually has what's called home rule. And home rule allows them to set their own laws for local elections. Using home rule, uh, one of our board of directors in Lyndeborough, New Hampshire, just a small town in New Hampshire, uh, didn't want the voting machines coming in. So she just went down and they locally, the citizens, passed an ordinance that said that all vote counting had to be done in public uh, with the public being able to see the actual count, not a representation of the count like a computer report, but the actual count. And effectively, that has eliminated voting machines from that town for as long as that ordinance is in effect. Great. In Germany... In Germany, the citizens took a, a much a bigger step. They took uh, an election. They went to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, it's a, it's um, equivalent of the Supreme Court, and they said we believe that the public needs to be able to see and authenticate every essential step in the election without need for special expertise, and no after the fact process can be substituted for the original count. They won in the Supreme Court, and in 90 days, all voting machines in Germany were. Sent to mothballs. 
and they now publicly count the votes by hand. So it, those are examples where it can be done. But let's suppose you want to. Uh, there are actually even solutions that are helpful when there are voting machines. A fisherman named Kevin Collins in Humboldt County, California, decided, you know what, why don't we, we have these optical scans which are scanning ballots, but it's all computerized and none of us can see what's on the ballots. Why don't we just go to Office Depot and get a regular off-the-shelf document scanner and then scan them again and release all of the pictures of the ballots on the web for everyone to see so we can count them ourselves. Right. Now, there's 170,000 voters in Humboldt County. They did it. They've been putting them out publicly since 2008. The first time they did it, they found out that the voting machines did miscount the votes. Beautiful. Yeah, so these are simple things. They don't even cost much money. So there are things like that, but... I want to also bring up something that's maybe more along the, the lines of what we're facing now, both with the um, with the financial controls, the global financial controls that are controlling the governments, basically, in many ways, and with the election systems. You know, back before this country was even formed, about a hundred years before that, some a, a handful of guys in Great Britain decided they would like to try to ban slavery. This is before we had the Civil War, before we were even formed as a country. And at that time, three out of four people in the world were in some form of indentured servitude or slavery. There had never been a concept that you wouldn't have slavery. Uh, the academia was against them. The elite money was against them. The world economy was as based on slavery then as it is on, you know, oil and resource extraction now. They didn't have... Anything going for them, not even the Internet. Literally, a guy who had graduated from college was riding from town to town on a horse, doing whatever he could figure out, and they ended up building enough of a mass movement to ban slavery in, first in England and then throughout the world. It took about 75 years, but this was absolutely uh documented proof that what we're facing now is not different than what other people have faced in one before. I really appreciate that because it seems like the biggest tool in the Money Powers toolkit, right, is if you Google the term learned helplessness, uh, yes. resistance is not futile. Uh, and, and that can't exactly. Be, that cannot and there's be. always a way, you know. What was so interesting is these five guys would meet in the back of a print shop. This is documented in a book called Bury the Chains by Adam Hochschild. You know, they meet in the back of a print shop, and because they had truth on their side, which, by the way, we do nowadays also, you know, and they just did what made sense to them at the time and would figure out the next step as they went. Uh, and it just kept gathering momentum and gathering momentum. They would do things like hold public debates on slavery for entertainment, and people would buy tickets to get in. You know, they would promote it by saying, we're going to have a woman debate. They would never name her because back then, you know, women didn't have a name if they were going <laughs> to But they just, and, and people, because it was such a curiosity, you know, people would come and see this. They had an ex-slave write a book about it, and it, be, it still actually is uh, sold to this day. But, you know, the, the 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 tools we have in our arsenal as the public, we do have them, and they will never be exhausted because we have our creativity. 
So you just have to get past that business of the learned helplessness. That's that's the advice we need to hear because obviously you've been putting your foot in front of another for at least ten years. I've been on your mailing list. For yeah, I don't know how many years. Um, can we? We're we're coming up on about a third of the way through the hour, and I did want to raise the question. You said that you had some kind of a uh, you were ramping up for this election. And yes, I, yes. Well, the first thing we've done, uh, and we do, by the way, uh, we're only supported by small citizen donations. We don't even take big grants from even uh, supposedly good guy organizations because we want to remain independent. But so any, you know, we do have donation things on our page, and that is very much needed now. But first thing we did was we created kind of a container for self-serve reporting uh, and uploading of pictures and documents, whatever anybody sees. Uh, you can upload a video to YouTube, of course, but uh, it sort of self-organizes. So, for example, let's say you live in Massachusetts and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and take pictures of what the results were before they leave the polling place and then compare it with what they said on the news, which, by the way, surprisingly often does not match. <laughs> well, um, the problem is how do we organize it? How do we get this and that done? So we set up, if you just go to our website, you go, you click my state, you go to Massachusetts, all 435 municipalities that run independent elections in Massachusetts are there, and you can just upload your own picture or video or uh, document or PDF of what you saw happen. Um, there's absolutely no way for anyone to control this because they don't know who's going to be uploading it. Anybody can go there, and it's completely self-serve. I don't want people sending it to me, so I can do it because I don't want to be the bottleneck. Um, there's about 10,000 jurisdictions for elections in the U.S., mm. organized by state, county, and sometimes municipality, and all of them have their own container, very easily found, on our website for self-serve uploading of anything, even just a, an eyewitness account. That's, uh, that's empowerment. Uh, and the next thing that we're going to be doing, we have something called Toolkit 2008. Nothing's really changed in terms of things to do since 2008, so I haven't really – I'll probably put a new cover on it. <laughs> but, you know, that's right there. And we have four uh, videos on the front page that show people what to do. You know, some people like Oregon and Washington have an all-absentee system, so there's a video for people who are – stuck in an all-absentee system, and other, you know, just there's several different types of voting things. You know it if you're in your, air, you know, in your area. Oh, we all go, you know, absentee, or we just go to our town hall, and it explains uh, some of the things you can do to authenticate yourself to the extent that you can, what the results are. And so video, toolkits, self-uploading, self-reporting, We'll, we'll get those links up again to make sure that everybody can get to it. Again, we're hoping that, that there's over a million people that are Occupy supporters, although the mainstream media wouldn't lead you to believe that. Uh, maybe this is something that people can empower themselves. And Right. And don't wait great. for someone else to organize you. You know, uh, I, some of the most amazing things that have been found and proven and made a real difference have been done by just one person who just goes out there and rounds up a few friends. Um, and I could really almost give you example after example where um, 
you know, somebody will decide locally, hey, I'm really worried about our sheriff's race because there's this crook, you know, and, he's, <laughs> and they round up a few friends and then they go to each of the polling places and they photograph those tapes that come out of the voting machines and compare them with what the official results are. A friend of mine in Bullock County, Kentucky, the aptly named Bullock <laughs> County, Kentucky, she those, did that. Those are my neighbors down there now. Oh, yeah, yeah, and she found that not one single voting machine result when she got <laughs> pictures of the tape actually matched. Uh, and, I mean, yeah. it was an impossible result that couldn't possibly have happened. And, million, you know. Million-dollar question, isn't there a law against voter fraud? Uh, there's laws against it. You know, surprisingly, it's often just a misdemeanor. Oh. And getting anyone enforce or investigate is actually where the roadblock is because the people who would enforce or investigate are either conflicted out, in other words, they they work for the people who got elected that way, or in uh, a lot of states, like my state, the Secretary of State has the ultimate say-so on elections. The attorney that is designated by law for the Secretary of State to defend the Secretary of State if anybody alleges anything, is the State Attorney General. The place that you would report election fraud is the State Attorney General. And literally, uh, in the past, we had tried a lawsuit suing the Secretary of State over violations, and the Attorney General was his defense counsel. Okay. So what do you do? There's really uh, not very much enforcement unless it uh, helps somebody's political uh, agenda. Then it, you know, if they want to, if they want to scapegoat somebody or go on a witch hunt, they'll do that. Well, but it's just if citizens see something bad, that's another matter. At, at least if if a, it may be just a misdemeanor, but if it's a start. Uh, oh, it is, and. Um, I want to give you a success story there. Please. Uh, one, of, uh, one of our former uh, employees, her name is Kathleen Wynn. She uh, now lives in Texas. She went to Ohio after the 2004 election and with a video camera in hand, and she videotaped them doing a recount in Cleveland. Well, uh, they're supposed to randomly select these precincts and go through them, and she caught them rigging the videotape, I mean, the, 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 rigging the recount on video, she kept pushing it, and eventually it did get prosecuted, and two of the employees were sentenced to a year and a half in prison solely because of one citizen's videotape. Outstanding. That person was standing, and we say in the Occupy movement, thanks for standing. Whoever that was, and hopefully you can shoot us a link on that. Uh, oh, yeah. If you, in fact, if you go to blackboxvoting.org and just put in Kathleen Wynn with okay. an E, uh, W-Y-N-N-E, you'll see uh, her amazing investigative stuff. And she just did it herself, got out her little camera, and that was before cameras were cool, before they had YouTube. You know, she just, <laughs> well, I want to see. The other thing I want to say is you will be surprised. I'm still surprised as much as I've seen how often I catch them in the act. It is, you follow your hunch, and they actually do this stuff, and you can actually catch them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the... the that's the right attitude. And, and again, thanks. Uh, James, how about something here? Uh, did you want to throw something in here? We had a former guest that had worked with Bev, didn't we? Yeah, Cliff Arnbeck. Oh, yes, I'm familiar with him, yeah. yeah he's he's, he's another one who did a lawsuit, yeah. He lives right across the street. Uh, 
You know, uh, that actually is a good uh, segue here. Uh, do you know anything about the Michael Connell incident here in Ohio? Um, no, actually, Cliff would be your guy, Cliff and Bob Petrakis, on that. Um, that was obviously a very suspicious and odd situation. Uh, and, and you might want to recap that a little bit, but it was a fellow who was killed in a plane crash at a uh, fortuitous time for uh, some people anyway, uh, because he was scheduled to testify, uh, and he was kind of right in the thick of things in terms of the 2004 election. I set up a blog for it. If people out there want to check it out, it's Michael Connell Anomaly, and it's on Blogspot. And so if you Google that, you'll find it. But uh, basically, this guy was working for the Karl Rove uh, Bush Cheney campaign and uh, was behind some weird looking uh, election rigging. And uh, Cliff, my neighbor here, uh, is still battling um, some uh, election challenges from years ago. We got this guy to testify. And uh, right before he was supposed to testify, he uh, died in a plane crash. And uh, right. one, one time previously, he found his plane was sabotaged. And, uh, you know, it, kinda, it was a big story here in, in Ohio for a few days, but only a few days, and it kind of disappeared. I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that. You, for two of us, Yeah, well, you know, story. it's not the, first, um, not the first plane crash in this uh, field. There was one, uh, you know, shortly after I got my hands on the Diebold files back in 2003, um, one of the key people at Diebold, who was actually one of their troubleshooters, who was supposed to be a pretty straight-up guy, um, uh, it made its way to him. And uh, shortly after that, uh, and, and I'm not saying it has anything to do with it, but he also died in a plane crash. And it is kind of creepy, you know, because there's not actually that many fatal uh, single-engine plane crashes per year. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're in politics, yeah. odds are, are increased substantially. <laughs> Uh, and, and yeah, but I don't want your, I don't want people to be afraid because of that. Because the truth is, um, not much happens to most of us who do this. And even when you're really out there, as I have been at times, you know, when I got a hold of the Diebold election systems files and set them loose in the world, um, that was back before the WikiLeaks days. I just decided to set the voting machine files loose, and I got investigated by the Secret Service on some trumped up charges and stuff. But you know, that even is really very very rare it's uh, i too often get people who say they're really afraid to do something and that's um the fears aren't really even very well uh founded and even if they were uh you know samuel adams uh one of the founders of the country had a great quote where he said you know it would be you know basically paraphrasing it just a terrible thing if we just go meekly off without a fight and losing our democracy Okay, I do have another question. Um, we have a, a group on uh, 12160.info. It's one of our uh, affiliated sites with Occupy America um, called the No Confidence Party. And uh, basically they've come to the conclusion that the voting system is completely gone, and why should we bother? And why should we fight for um, activism in that at this point? You know, isn't it, aren't we beyond the point of doing anything about the vote at this point? Actually, I, I totally agree with that there is a, a reason for no confidence. But here's the thing. If we come to accept it, then it really is all over. Because right now, it's based on the idea that uh, two things. One, that people think it's real. And the more we cast evidence into the system and then prove that the evidence did never materialize. For example, vote for some really weird person that 
nobody votes for, and then go and look and see if that vote ever showed up, and you'll be surprised how often it doesn't. You know, we got to get to the tipping point in, in terms of getting the public to understand it, and you'd get there with evidence. Well, if you simply walk away from the system, you're not going to get any evidence of anything. Uh, and the other thing is, elections are only riggable to a certain extent. They still require uh, plausibility. So, for example, in 2008, one of the things we saw is that Obama had so overrun the, the ability to rig. I mean, it was clear to everyone. If they had handed that election to McCain, uh, you know, Obama was ahead by such a margin. I'm sure it was tampered, you know, to some degree, but you can only do so much before it has no plausibility. And if it has no plausibility at all, that's when you start getting people in the street and riots and so forth. So the, uh, the powers that be know that they have to create news stories that give it plausibility and they have to try to keep it plausible. But you can overrun it if you have enough people who have a, a top-heavy enough uh, result. So, Bev, uh, how many people have you put away? That's my interest in this. I want to see people go to jail for crime. We want perp walk. We want exactly. video. <laughs> well, um, the, you know, not a lot because prosecution and enforcement is another big area of the problem. Uh, however, you know, I, I, a few things. Uh, I sued Diebold uh, back in 2003, I guess it was. Uh, they were then required to pay out a multi-million dollar settlement uh, to the state of California. Um, so that was a win in some in some sense. And Diebold is now out of the election business, by the way. So I guess you could say I put away Diebold, and they sold their whole elections division to another voting machine company. Awesome. Uh, but, yeah, so they're out. And they were there were some pretty creepy guys. Now, some of those creepy guys are <laughs> now over with the new <laughs> election thing. But, you know, the other thing is uh, it's some when you have a structural problem, as we have, because uh, what's wrong with elections is that the public can't authenticate it. And so that's a structural problem. And we can set our sights on bad guys and fraudsters and bad companies, but every time we take one out, another one will take its place. So we have to keep our eye on the ball and do what the Germans did and basically saying, we demand that the public can see and authenticate every essential step without need for special expertise, and you can't substitute an after-the-fact process for the original. That's what we need to demand, because that's the structure that we can then deal with later on. Again, now we're talking with Bev Harris, blackboxvoting.org. Uh, she could use your support. That whole group is a great organization. been around for years. Check out their site. They're going to be doing a lot of work this year for the elections. Um, I have one last question, then we'll jump over to Mark. I'm sure he's itching there. Uh, what do you know about this uh, Ron Paul and the primaries? You know, there are people on the website dailypaul.com that just claimed that it. it was just oh yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely in your face, uh, out in the open, ridiculous. For example, uh, one thing that Black Box Voting did uh, going up into the first primaries and caucuses is, you know, I kind of analyzed Iowa, which is the very first one out of the gate. I said, look. You got all these people, they're counting everything in public, that's good, but then it goes to, into a funnel and you, it, all of those results go to this little party, you know, this party, and then they say 
what the results are. So you have potential for them to just report the wrong numbers. Well, as we now know, that's exactly what they did. But some of the Ron Paul people were there with their video cameras, and a guy named Edward True uh, stood up to them all. He caught, you know, what the actual result was, compared it, and said, wait a minute, Romney didn't even win Iowa, you know, which they finally had to admit, but they only admitted that Santorum won because of Edward True and his video camera. Now, in Maine, it got even more ridiculous. They said, well, nobody I know will count in secret and nobody can report what we announce as the result. Okay, so the first thing that some of the Ron Paul people did when they got to the caucus is they said, uh, you know, point of order, we'd like to make a motion that we count in public and that we announce the result. <laughs> and of course they voted, yes, let's do that. Then they captured the result on video. So what the main party did was they decided not to count the whole county uh, and call it a snow day. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was just preposterous. And the county, by the way, uh, was Waldo County. So that's not, but see, there's, there's a success in all of this. You know, Rachel Maddow gets a hold of it and says, where's Waldo? <laughs> I wonder where that came from. You know, it it was just, uh, and in Nevada, more stuff. And then, um, again, this is a black box voting investigation. I thought, you know, I wonder who actually administered the caucuses in Iowa where they reported the wrong results and in Nevada where they had uh, crazy stuff happening. Um, Former Romney staffers got the job shortly before the caucuses were held and they administered it. So this is actually even more in your face than normal. I don't talk about candidates pro or con, but I do talk about procedures. And a procedure of having the staffers from a candidate running the election is not cool. Nor is it cool to have the company or a spin-off of the company owned by a candidate owning the voting machines. That just is procedurally bad. I don't care who does it. I don't care whether they're good guy, bad guy, or indifferent. Bad procedure. How about, uh, are, are you with us out there, uh, Mark? Are you going to be able to talk here? Or he's running as yes, an engineer absolutely. today. There you go. What, yeah, what do you yeah, got on your mind? And uh, I, I, will, I will keep my uh, part of this interview to, to just one question. Uh, since I do have the uh, technical side to run here, and uh, so far it's kept me a little bit busy. Uh, <laughs> we already had one uh, temporary outage there that got caught, and, uh, and we've reestablished our streaming. But uh, I, I would like to ask uh, if you could uh, uh, speak for a moment. It seems to me that uh, there's a lot of uh, misusing the term voter fraud uh, which, of course, voter fraud uh, does exist, or, or vote fraud, uh, as it's sometimes alternately termed. Uh, uh, but it seems like a lot of the time election fraud is, is uh, mis, uh, misnamed vote fraud or voter fraud. And I was Brad, I'm so glad. That, yeah, so yeah. glad you brought that up. Yeah, because what we're really looking at is election fraud. It's not a bunch, you know, the stereotype is a bunch of alcoholic Mexicans riding a bus and then they give me each a dollar and a shot of whiskey. I don't know who, who, I mean, I'm, I keep saying, oh, really? If this is really happening, why doesn't somebody have video on YouTube? <laughs> I mean, there is no proof of that stuff. What 
does happen is insider fraud. And if you look at election fraud over the last two centuries, there's lots and lots of documentation of different election fraud scenarios. And it's almost always an insider who has access. It's not some random person stumbling into a polling place impersonating someone else. That's ridiculous. It is, however, in terms of impersonation, there is sort of an ID theft thing that happens that's very well documented with absentee votes, where an insider who has access to the absentee ballot pool just goes through the voter registration list and picks people who he knows didn't vote because they've got the records and just puts votes in there in the name of real voters, uh, you know, just dumps them into the pool. Or, uh, as happened in a California city recently, uh, opening the absentee ballots ahead of time and tossing out the ones that they don't want. So, you know, but that's an insider. That's not somebody coming into the polling place and impersonating someone else. So they had this whole network TV-backed preposterous scenario that doesn't happen that hordes of impersonators are coming in. And they did that because they wanted voter ID because that helps to reduce the number of uh, Democratic voters, basically. Right, right, of course. And, and of course... When it actually is uh, election fraud, when it actually does occur, it seems they sometimes term that vote fraud or voter fraud simply for the psychology of the propaganda of it to uh, yeah. sort of deflect from what's really going on, even though the story, exactly. you know, is, is being presented correctly. Just using that term incorrectly kind of deflects it, you know? Right. It, it makes yeah. everybody focus on the outside and not the inside. They don't want you looking at what the workers in the elections sometimes do. I'm not saying election officials are all crooked. Obviously, most of them are not. But if you're going to tamper with an election, you're going to do it by getting an insider. And, and there's a lot of people who work at these elections offices. You just need one. And by the same token, if they begin to do a little jail time when they get caught, we would hope there'd be some kind of a dampening of just how easy it is to be committing this kind of fraud. And again, we're coming up on the second or the last third of the show, so I did want to touch base again with what what are you going to need, uh, Bev? What what is the we wanted to touch base with your drive you've got on to ramp up? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, most of our work happens after the election. Um, we put all the pieces in place in front of the election, but we collect evidence after the election. Can't right. do much collecting of evidence if there isn't any yet. Um, but we need, you know, obviously, uh, if folks have uh, $10, $5, $1, uh, that helps amazingly in what we can do because we, one of the things we do is we request public records. We use the Open Records Act in each state to gather documents that can buttress the, the cases that we build. Well, um, they charge you for public records. Sometimes it's only three cents a page. In some states, it's a dollar a page, and it's kind of highway robbery, but, you know, we can't make the cases without the records. Um, and just having, you know, the website and the personnel on the, and the phones available and so forth. Uh, I don't want to, you know, harp on that too much, though, because there's a lot of folks that don't, especially in today's economy, don't have an extra dime. And really, 
you know, as Einstein said, time is money. Time really is money. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Take that formula. So uh, folks can put their time into monitoring elections, and they don't need to, uh, you know, have us organize it because we don't really organize. We have the videos right there on the front page. It says simple things people can do. And just use your common sense because usually if you're interested in elections, you sort of know your local situation and you sort of know what the hot issues are and by the way this isn't all about a presidential election some of the hottest issues are the gambling initiatives that gambling is huge business you know and that's some of the crookedest elections is gambling initiatives and uh, different uh, you know some of the sheriff's races some of the county commissioner races those guys do procurement and and people you know locally you know, a little bit about, oh, so, you know, we got some developers over here who've got, you know, their hooks into the board of commissioners and they're, you know, doing bad things. So you know what to look for. Uh, and so then you just sort of follow your hunches. And that, people wonder sometimes how I've caught people in the act as often as I have. But it's just because I follow my hunches. Well, there, there was a time there where you are, by the way, the hero of the Fort Branch Public Library computer class. Uh, when, they, when they when they ran across the section that talked about you being a, a grandma that had taken a stand, they were all like, "Well, yeah, we want to know more about this." And strangely <laughs> enough, they didn't know. There's, it's amazing to me how few people that I'm talking to at this point really have a feel for what black box voting has been doing for how many years now. Yeah. Well, partly though, let me tell you, it's partly. Um, because when I first got going, um, I got tremendous amount of publicity. But then, uh, really, as soon as 2004, I started realizing we can't make this about Bev Harris and black box voting because it will never work. Mm-hmm. Because then we'll just set ourselves up as a target and off we go. Mm-hmm. So instead, I started really paying attention to who's doing something on their own. And so I answer my own phone, and when people call, and I can tell that they that they're, there was kind of people that roll up their sleeves and just do something, I spend time with them, and I like to decentralize it and get it out so that uh, really, literally, if black box voting era- evaporated and, and went away overnight, that wouldn't be a great thing. We would lose one voice, but there's a whole bunch of other voices that have been born, and we won't lose them. So I think, you know, we want to push it out. We want to give credit where credit is due with all the folks who are doing things on their own, whether it's whether they're doing it locally, nationally, or internationally. Part of what we've done, by the way, at Black Box Voting is uh, served as the catalyst for movements in India, in uh, in Belgium, in the Philippines. I mean, this is truly the same exact companies that are putting voting machines into America are putting them into the other countries, too. And, and, and please, so, please let's, let's not even try and pretend that it would be some kind of coincidence that the same companies are doing the same things worldwide. The, the money power... Uh, oh, yeah. That's what yeah, this is about, it's a world yeah, this power. is about money. Yes. <laughs> let's make money. no mistake. Yes. And, you know, if you're a company and you're involved in resource extraction around the globe, your deal is gas or diamonds or whatever you're doing, um, you have too much money at stake to let just any old politician be elected because the one thing that can really mess with your bottom line is unfriendly legislation. Mm-hmm. So you are going to want your thumb on that scale. We should not be surprised or shocked by this. 
Uh, that that's a really excellent point. I don't know whether you've had a chance to. Or we we keep trying to get across to people that this is something that's been going on for a plan that's been organized for over a hundred years. Uh, if you have a chance to read Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope, it lays it out. I, I have not. I will have to pick that up. This is a real historian. Uh, they've tried to smear him back in the seventies with. The Illuminati, strangely enough, they were using it as a diversion to try to kind of just hang out enough information but not let you see what was really going on, which was money. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Quigley's position, and it's available online. We'll have a, we'll have a link up for it. But it's, 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 this is a worldwide problem, but we have the best chance here of being able to do something about it still. And the rest and, of the world is Yeah, we waiting. still have... Uh, you know, we have the power to do a lot of things. You know, it's very interesting. You know, Jimmy Carter has an organization, former President Jimmy Carter, that monitors elections worldwide. He had a fascinating interview in the Washington Post in 2008 where he said, we've been asked many times to monitor elections in the U.S. Frankly, the United States doesn't qualify. The, he actually said that the elections in the U.S. are worse than Bosnia-Herzegovina, Uganda, I mean, we we have this sort of, I don't know, it's like we were taught in grade school, we have this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful world, and it seems like we're the last to figure out that something really can be wrong in our own country. Um, but, yeah, here's the place to start, and local is one of the best places to do it because you can still get traction locally. Amen. And, and again, you're talking to Occupy America, uh, Mm-hmm. We live here. We live here locally. This isn't about occupying Wall Street. It's about occupying your street. And there is no better way to start than to try to pick up this toolkit and try to help out with a few bucks and skip a lunch, maybe. Um, these are how we make a difference. These are the tactics. Yeah, and in the toolkit, you know, I'm really an advocate for picking something that's that's feels natural to you. There's a technical section in the toolkit for technical guys, and they love it, you know. But you don't have to be technical. There's things. uh, I have this one, another grandmother in Illinois that does the most amazing work just quietly behind the scenes. And you know what she does? She sits there and sees whether the numbers match. She Mm. goes, okay, they said this many voters voted, but they said this many votes happened. How come there's 5,000 more votes than there were voters? And she just plugs away and identifies what we call impossible numbers. And it's not rocket science. She just takes the numbers of this and compares them with the number of that. So the Fort Branch Public Library uh, fan club for you, they've got their marching orders there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, just roll up your sleeves. I, I used to say, you know, grab an oar and row. <laughs> <laughs> James, what are you thinking? Hey, I wanted to know... Uh... You know, you keep mentioning Occupy. I want to. I keep doing this show because I want to see the Occupy movement and the Tea Party merge to just one united front against this tyranny that we face. Oh yeah. Day. Yes. So. Oh how yeah. Do we, how do we go about that in your in your eyes? I think it's beginning to happen. I know it's beginning to happen. And uh, what you know what you. This is probably the most dangerous concept to those who don't want uh, any kind of power to get back to the population. Um, the Tea Party is full of immensely creative, gutsy people yes. who see, uh, 
you know, who, who see what they see and don't back away from it. And the Occupy movement is the same. And many of the issues that we're fighting and seeing are the same. And now when we do this, you're going to see people come into the fray and start driving wedges in between them. Uh, and they do that by bringing up, because we have different ideologies between the two groups. But, you know, those are not relevant. It's, okay, we have different ideologies about how things should go. That's not relevant when we're trying to deal with the structural problems that we're dealing with. And we, and we all know that. Then you see these people come in and they just want to hijack and talk about ideology that they know will be divisive. Well, then you know what that is. That somebody doesn't really think it's a great idea, so they send in these people who are basically disruptive. And so, you know, as long as you know that, that's how you derail that. It's like, okay, good, you know, you go over there and talk your politics, we're going to keep going. Uh, it is happening, though, little by little. Uh, there's a, an activist by the name of Jeannie Dean who's really gotten really good stuff with the new media and video and helping bring some of the people in my generation, I'm 61, along to the concept that you put things on YouTube nowadays and go to Facebook. You know? <laughs> and she's helped with that, and she's also been really working hard at introducing and, and helping bond the two uh, different factions and I think it's going to be an ongoing process, but I, I do see it happening. One of our uh, one of our former guests, uh, Brandon Turboville, he's a really good writer. He writes out of South Carolina for Activist Post, and he had an article that's posted uh, again. There's a link about vote fraud allegations, specifically mentioning the Ron Paul uh, people from South Carolina as having uh -huh. some allegations. Uh, he had two more questions. He already he asked about what you'd already covered about the assessment that vote fraud is is more of an issue of insiders than outsiders. Uh, but he did have a second question. Can you discuss the danger of both the paperless touch screens voting machines and the extra danger of the software that goes along with them, such as? And I've got to just give you the spelling. I don't know what he's. S-C-Y-T-L slash S-O-E. Yeah. Yeah, I actually broke the story about Seidel in January. Um, okay, the the dangers of voting different methods are as follows. It's very simple. We talk about we need to be able to see and authenticate. There's four things we need to see and authenticate. Who can vote, which is the voter list. Okay. Who did vote, which is the participating list. The count itself and then the chain of custody. Each one of those four things in and of itself can tamper an election. Um, when you go to paperless voting, then you can't authenticate the count. There is no way to authenticate it. All you can ever do is look at circumstantial evidence and try to, you know, interpolate what it probably is based on what someone's, you know, what a programmer said. But you can't authenticate the count. So it just takes that off the table. But, let me also mention with paper ballots, those are now almost always run through a computer and no human eye is allowed to count them. And, and, and understand that no human is allowed to count them. Not just that they don't, but they're not allowed to. So in Florida, they moved away from paperless voting. They require a paper ballot, but it's against the law to count it uh, with human eyes. So that's really, in some ways, not much different. And then chain of custody, even if you're counting after the fact and doing some sort of audit, you don't even know if it's the same thing that was cast. So, you know, forget about that. Um, so 
The paperless is a problem in that there's no way to reconstruct the count or authenticate it. CIDL, what CIDL, S-C-Y-T-L-A, it's a company from Spain. There's two sides to this, or two components to it. It's trying to push the world into Internet voting. Now, what Internet voting does is it conceals all four of those steps from the public. From, from the public. It conceals who can vote because you don't know what list is loaded into that Internet. It, can, it conceals who actually did vote. You don't know who cast the votes that are being counted in there. It can give you a report of what it says, but you don't have any way to authenticate it. Uh, you can't see the count, and you can't see the chain of custody. So Internet voting is the worst of all worlds. Uh, is pu- trying to push that out globally. Right now they're doing that uh, with military and overseas voters only in the United States. But Seidel then bought the company that reports the results. Uh, now, there's a company called SOE Software, which was recently acquired by Seidel. SOE is going to be reporting the results for 1,400 of the 10,000 jurisdictions in the U.S. But those 1,400 are the biggest ones in many cases. So I would say, you know, places like Dallas, uh, Broward County, Miami, um, Los Angeles County, big places. And if we recall what I mentioned about Iowa earlier, where I noted, where I said, look, you can all see what the county is, but then you don't report it. This, this little party at the state level reports it. How do you know they're reporting the same numbers you saw? That's the situation we have on a grand scale with SOE Software, uh, which is owned by this CIDL company. SOE software actually not only is the one that reports the results, but they actually own and run and host the websites for the counties. So the counties are electronically pumping the voting machine results down to Tampa, Florida, where they are being hosted on servers by SOE software. They're obviously in a position as a middleman to be able to get those results, and the only protection against that and there is a protection, by the way, but we aren't doing it, is to have, you know, folks, regular citizens, go out there and capture photographs of what those results tapes are coming out of the voting machines at the end of the day and compare them. And if SOE, that's very dangerous. If SOE was caught even once changing a result, that would really be a problem. Uh, Terry, James, uh, we had a, I know we had a couple of uh, uh, listener questions that uh, we received. Can you uh, try to inject one or two of those before we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, I've got one last one. Uh, again, it's a follow-up from Brandon Turbeville on the same, same thing, but he just wanted you to focus once again uh, for how important it is that the concept of remote tampering before, during, and after the voting process with this type of machine. thats That seems to be his point. Um, remote tampering is uh, doable in many situations, not all, but that's not where it's likely to be done. It's okay. most likely to be done by someone with inside access. Okay. And understand that the networks of people with inside access who are of the frame of mind that they might manipulate an election. Um, those go back a hundred years. The operatives know who those people are and where they are. Okay, uh, James. Anything else? Got about seven minutes left here. 
Uh, no, I don't have any questions at the moment. Uh, Terry, do you have some? Oh, wait, here, I found some. Uh, oops. Sorry to catch you off. Well, actually, and while he's looking for that, let me just explain my my last statement, because it might sound a bit conspiracy-oriented, but it's not. When I say the networks of who will do things go back 100 years, what I mean is going all the way back to Tammany Hall and back in the day, there's always been people who will do stuff for a price. And um, there's been companies that print ballots that do sneaky stuff, you know. And what I'm saying is if you are in charge of a local area, uh, you know the good old boys. You know where to go if that's what you, uh, if that's the way you 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 roll. And the same thing goes for the national level. They know the the locations and the jurisdictions that are the most open for business because this is not like it's just uh, suddenly happened over the last two years. You know, <laughs> it's, it's been going on a good while. I've got one last follow up here, and and it really kind of comes to the the whole point of really what we're all talking about all day. A friend of mine just put his Facebook, uh, after looking at some of this information, his Facebook status just changed to disenfranchised. Um, Bev, what what do we tell this guy? Well, yeah, he may be, but um, if, if, if you really care, you, you can't accept it. You know, the one thing, if you look at a a circle uh, of what would make, say, corporate domination of the world complete. It would be to close off this little, you know, this one little link of elections, that pesky little link, you know. If we just didn't even have to have them, and if people would just accept it, that there wasn't going to be any. So no matter what, if you're disenfranchised, if you're uh, whatever it is, you still need to engage in some way, actually, even if you don't vote. It's important to engage in help, try, trying to correct the structure so that uh, power is once again returned to its proper its uh, proper place. Even if you don't vote, we still need a correct count of how many people didn't vote or registered some kind right. of protest vote because that is a vote. Uh, it's right, saying and there's all kinds vote. of things you can do. You can vote for obscure candidates and look at that. Uh, write-in candidate, uh, you know, there's been a couple of massive write-in wanted, campaigns wanted that have worked. About that. Uh, what about yeah, the, in, in San Diego, a write-in candidate for mayor got 170,000 write-ins and actually won. They reversed it on a technicality. Uh, but, but And then in Alaska, there was a very, very close one for Senate, you know, where a write-in candidate uh, either won and it was tampered or almost won. But... Uh, there's, there's. I just read this morning. Seven Eleven started something where they said, "Okay, we're going to let you when you buy your coffee, you can buy it in a red cup, a blue cup, or just a brown cup. You know, a non, an independent cup, and we'll just tally it at the cash register and see how many people go for each." I mean, there's a lot of things we could do if we're creative to actually uh, show what's really happening. And the point there is, you get a receipt when you buy that cup of coffee. Why don't we get a receipt when we vote? Which of these two is really the more important? And you can see why people do feel so frustrated because we've let oh, yeah. it slip up and get this bad, and we're just now really beginning to be able to start 
making some really good progress that you've been telling us about today, and it was really nice to hear some good progress for change, Beth. <laughs> what? I, I can't happening. tell you how nice it is so it starts, to hear. It, doesn't it start, though, with understanding what the problem really is? And the first thing that happens when you start saying it is you get all these diversions, you know, where people yes. come up with these corollary problems and say, why don't you all testify on this? It's not even related. But, you know, keep your eye on the ball. And the more people that start to see what the problem really is, which is that we cannot authenticate our own elections and we're supposed to be in charge of them, then the, the closer we're going to get. And that's not going to happen, you know, in two minutes. Germany overturned it in their Supreme Court, but Germany is the size of Oregon. You know, we, <laughs> we got a little way work to do. Very good. Uh, so the, the last point of that is well, the best defense from what I'm hearing you say is locally – all politics is local. We've all heard that mm-hmm. all of our lives. And that's where the best control is because you know what your county councilman is up to. You live next yeah. door to him. Uh, that's what this is all about. This is, this is occupy your vote. And you've got the toolbox that can help people have an idea what to do. Uh, again, we're uh, almost out of time. We've got about two minutes left. Please, one more time, we'll be putting up the uh, black box org. Uh, but but could you black touch box base? Voting, yeah, blackboxvoting.org. Thank you. I have to choke at least once per show. It's a requirement. The guys wouldn't have anything to laugh <laughs> at if I didn't manage to do that once a show at least. Uh, again, so a write-in. The, the thing that made him change his vote to is, uh, and, and I guess the explain that the word is uh, hopefully means that his vote's been taken away for disenfranchised, among mm-hmm. other things. But uh, I, I guess his position was he had just seen a list of when people were talking about write-ins. Uh, supposedly, there's a list going around of how many states say a write-in vote is illegal. Do you have anything uh, backing that up, or is that just a uh, no? No, uh, most most states do have write-in votes, and uh, sometimes they try to ban it in various cities and so forth, but... Um, you know, you can write in a vote, and even the voting machines do know how to process a write-in vote, and they do actually uh, uh, carry that. You know, you can you can go back and check and see who the write-in votes were for. And like I say, there have been actually campaigns which that have been successful with write-in votes. Well, we'll leave it on that note. Uh, I really, Bev, I, I told you when I was first talking to you, this is for for the Occupy people. This is like drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, please come back. I know it's a really busy term. We really appreciate you taking an hour out. And hopefully our Occupy people can pitch in here and occupy the vote. That's the topic well, of the show. Go ahead. Yes, thanks for having me. And, and you do very important work. I'm really glad to see you doing this. Well, thanks for standing, Bev. Uh, James, uh, if we have anything else, let me know. I just throw in a plug for Occupy America's social network, uh, available on your favorite search engine. Okay. Thank, thanks to Mark. Uh, best wishes to our friend Brattery. He's out there in the hospital, unfortunately. Uh, and Tara's show, True Sync Radio, is going to be coming back on Tuesday nights. Uh, and you can check out the podcast. That's yep. it. Thank you very thanks much, Thanks again. Beth. Thank you.